Wednesday, May 15th, 2013, episode number 49 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Episode number 49 of the Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer. The show is published every other Wednesday here until training camps begin in July on footballnation.com and for your downloading convenience in the iTunes store. But feel not, but fear not, football fans, because the show is published every other week instead of every week from now until training camps begin in July, that means that each edition of the program will be action-packed this week. No different. Coming up momentarily in our first on segment, I spoke with Tom Cunningham, one of our many fine contributors on FootballNation.com. You may have noticed Tom has written many positional rankings articles over the past couple weeks. I discussed his quarterback rankings article in particular. Listeners of the show know a pet topic of mine is this never-ending debate about who is an elite quarterback, how do we quantify an elite quarterback, and I admit it's a meaningless debate. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but It's that prototypical sports bar debate. So Tom and I go back and forth about how you define an elite quarterback, where the position is heading as a whole, and we do get into more specific cases such as where do you slot in guys like Tony Romo, Matt Schaub, and yes, of course, the poster child for this argument, Super Bowl champion Joe Flacco. So we thank Tom for coming on the show. We also spent some time talking about Steelers safety Ryan Clark's comments last week about Tom Brady, how to beat Brady and the Patriots, and if the Patriots as a franchise have lost some of their mystique. Then the second down segment, we talk about the biggest off-field NFL story of the past week, and a bill was introduced in the Senate a couple days ago that could potentially change and positively change the NFL viewing experience forever. And if you're a football fan or even a, or just a sports fan, uh, you should be pulling for this bill to be passed through, or at least the portion of the bill I will tell you about in the second down segment. Then in the third down segment, it's the big upper slowdown segment, debating topics such as Bill's GM Buddy Nix stepping down from his position and the ramifications to that. A Jaguars wide receiver Justin Blackman spoke about his most recent substance, uh, uh, his most recent uh, suspension due to violating the NFL's substance abuse policy. We'll talk about if it's too early to give up on guys like Blackman and how that process should go. And also, of course, NFL mini camps happening across the league. Um, a lot of analysis coming out of these mini camps. Is there anything more worthless? Then mini camps analysis. We'll talk about that. And then speaking of worthless in the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. Rick Riley wrote, man, to call it a poem is 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 is, is doing the whole genre a disservice. So I'll just say he wrote a thing on ESPN.com this week about the Jets quarterback situation. Um, it is unreal, and by that I mean unreal, like bad. Like it is unreal how bad this is. And that Rick Riley gets paid millions of dollars to write these things. If you didn't read it, don't worry. I won't make you do that. I'll read some of the lowlights, yes, lowlights, in the Reamer rant to close out the show. It's Football Nation Today, episode number 49. My name is Alex Reamer. We'll be right back. It's the middle of May. NBA, NHL playoffs in full swing. But we're also talking football. A lot of news to get through. And we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back to Football Nation today as we kick off our first down segment this week by speaking to Tom Cunningham, one of our many fun contributors right here on FootballNation.com. Tom, how are you? I'm doing well, Alex. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for coming on. Again, we're in with Tom Cunningham. You can read his stuff right here on FootballNation.com. Now, Tom, a bit of controversy over the past week. Steelers safety Ryan Clark was asked in an interview about the best way to defend Tom Brady. And um, and he said when Tom Brady gets pressure and when you're man-to-man and bumping those guys, making it hard for him to throw, he sees ghosts. When you get Tom Brady doing that, the whole New England Patriots mystique goes away. Um, this obviously has set off some controversy, Tom. I'm having trouble distinguishing what exactly was wrong with what Clark said um, because I think the Patriots have shown that they struggle going up against a physical man-to-man defense. What did you think about his comments? Well, one thing to keep in mind, I think, is that this Ryan Clark-Tom Brady, uh, if you want to call it a rivalry per se, has been going on for a while now, uh, dating back to when uh, Pittsburgh and New England played in the playoffs and New England won that game. Uh, You know, jarring between those two has been going on for a while now. So this isn't anything new, I think, especially out of one of the hardest, you know, hitting defenses in the NFL and, you know, that attitude goes with how they talk uh, as well off the field. But, you know, I think to some degree Ryan Clark is correct uh, as far as New England losing their mystique now. I mean, when, you know, a decade ago when Tom Brady first came into the uh, into the picture, the playoff picture per se, um, through those three to four years, uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots have been outstanding. They were breaking records left and right, multiple Super Bowl appearance, appearances, so, you know, to say they lost their mystique is fair only because they were so highly uh, regarded uh, almost a decade ago. Uh, but to Ryan Clark, it's almost a decade later <laughs> to this point. So, you know, that's, that's a huge jump as far as them losing their mystique. Also, you know, they don't have the same players and personnel that they've had over the years they've you know, continue to reload and reload on offense as well as defense. But as far as Ryan Clark's comments towards how to beat Tom Brady, I think that's a very fair statement. Um, if you look at what's happened since the departure of Randy Moss, um, they haven't really had any deep threats. And those were a lot of bailouts, uh, bailout plays for Tom Brady when nothing was open underneath uh, in the crossing routes with players like Deion Branch, Wes Welker, etc. Now you're starting to see both the tight ends from New England kind of have more of a a deep threat role within that offense. However, you're not seeing the same results from the Patriots as far as uh, being an elite team and getting far through the playoffs to eventually a Super Bowl. What I think you're starting to see now uh, is more and more defenses put pressure on Tom Brady ever since the New York Giants took them down during that undefeated season. I think a lot of teams know that when you pressure Tom Brady, he uh, you know he tends to panic just like really any human quarterback would when you've got five to six guys in your face. Uh, however, Tom Brady, in my opinion, is probably one of the best, if not the best, quarterbacks to ever play the game. So there is some fairness with Ryan Clark stating that they've lost their mystique because they're not as great as they used to be, but they're still relevant. They're still consistent. Tom Brady's still going to pick apart multiple defenses. And, uh, you know, that division that they're in doesn't give them a lot of challenges. 
So as far as uh, as far as the mystique part of it, it's a fair statement on Ryan Clark's part. But to say that they've lost it completely, uh, that's that's a bit ridiculous because they're going to be around, they're going to be relevant, and as long as Tom Brady's in that division and the Bills and Dolphins and Jets are in that division, they're going to be there for a while. Right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's interesting, Tom, because I mean, you you had to think. I mean, Brady didn't lose a playoff game until 2005, so he had so he had to think eventually he was going to regress to the mean a little bit. So it was going to be inevitable that he was going to lose some big playoff games. Um, but the interesting thing to me from a national perspective is you talk about one of the main differences between the Patriots now and then is back then, 01 through 04, they were the underdog. You know, they won with opportunistic offense, great defense, physical defense as well. Whereas as of late, they've almost become like the evil empire since 2007, loading up on Randy Moss, Wes Welker. It's really been quite an interesting role reversal for the Patriots over the past decade. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's, you know, it's a complete turnaround. And going back to when they were the underdogs, that kind of shows what we know in the sports world about these teams, uh, that, you know, they were winning these Super Bowls as underdogs, and now that that they've become an elite powerhouse, um, it just shows also the pressure uh, to win in this league and how difficult it really is when you've got that target on your back. You're getting opponents' best effort week in, week out, and especially through the postseason. I think what the Patriots uh, have been missing this post, uh, these past couple of postseasons to win another Super Bowl is I, I think that they, uh, they're very, very young. And the experience will come. Back when, you know, they won their Super Bowl in 2002, Tom Brady was the young player on that team, but they had a lot of savvy vets around him, even players like David Givens uh, that are no-namers, and, uh, you know, Christian Fourier at tight end. These guys were in the league for a while. They knew how to play. And now what you're seeing from the Patriots is they are reloading almost every year with young talent, which is good. But when you get to the postseason, sometimes inexperience, you know, doesn't help, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And with the loss of Welker now and Brandon uh, Lloyd, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what type of offense, knew it, how they're going to respond this year. And it's very safe to say, very safe to say that it is all going to fall on Tom Brady's shoulders literally and figuratively this season uh, for the success of that offense because now he doesn't have as many weapons as he did the past few years um, other than the running game, which was completely underrated this year. Uh, they also have two tight ends that are you know, coming off some injuries. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how he progresses this year, but it is going to fall heavily on Tom Brady, and this is going to be a season for him where he will be tested uh, more than he has pretty much throughout his entire career because the expectations are so high, but the, the players and personnel around him aren't as good as they've been in the past. Yeah, I mean, quickly, last point here, and then I want to move on, Tom. Uh, you look at Brady, and, and my big point the Patriots has been this offseason is, okay, Brady's now 36 years old. Uh, that championship window with him is closing. So what, how are you, are, are you trying to maximize the window? And they make decisions like letting Wes Welker go, picking up Danny Amendola, and they're going to be a top 10 offense this year, no matter who they run out there with Brady. But the question is, if their offense is going to regress a little bit, 
um, judging on paper, I think it's fair to expect that. How does their defense progress? You talked about that young defense. Well, now a lot of these guys have been together for three, four years. Um, I think this is the season where it's time for that defense to take that next step and maybe pick up some slack for the offense, which, as you know, is something that this team has been unable to do for really the past five to six years. Yeah, Alex, I think you just hit the uh, the nail on the head right there. It, this is going to be a very high expected season for that defense. You've got linebackers. Uh, Brandon Spikes and Gerard Mayo that have been playing together for a while. They're both very high-quality um, NFL linebackers. They're great starters um, that, you know, have a lot of versatility. Uh, that defensive line, Ninkovich and Wilford, you know, they are going to uh, be playing again together. Now, what's interesting about this defense, though, is the secondary and how well they're going to respond. I know that Devin McCourty, uh, he's been moved around from safety to cornerback. They're trying to get new young corners, uh, you know, almost every year. Always, it seems yes, like. always with the cornerbacks. So, yeah, so, you know, it's going to be, you know, rely a lot heavily on that box for New England and the running defense. Uh, you know, I guess New England's problem on defense, though, over the few years has been that secondary. So, again, that secondary is going to be a huge question. But uh, it is almost expected of that New England defense to perform better than they have the past two seasons. Last year was a huge um, upgrade from two years ago, how that defense played. I mean, it's pretty it's hard to go worse than worse. So, you know, uh, it, it only it can get better from last year. Uh, you know, this defense, I think, is going to be playing very well, very physical. And when you play the Bills, the Dolphins, and a terrible team in the Jets twice a season, um, it can only, you know, it can only help and it can only hopefully build confidence. So maybe some of the pressure might be taken off that offense if the defense can come out and perform. However, that offense is going to have to put up around 24 to 35 points in order to win 11 games this season. Right, and you mentioned, Tom, they're certainly aided by their weak uh, division. Again, we're talking with Tom Cunningham, contributor, footballnation.com. Uh, Tom, we spent a lot of time on this show talking about how you go about quantifying uh, an elite quarterback. Uh, first of all, it's <laughs> it's a meaningless debate. I mean, I fully acknowledge that. It's, you know, it's a classic sports bar type debate, but it's a fun debate to have, so that's why we have it. So I was looking at your quarterback rankings, which came out a couple weeks ago. thought a lot of good stuff was in there. And I have to say, though, Tom, Tony Romo at 8, ahead of Robert Griffin, Andrew Luck, Colin Kaepernick, and Russell Wilson. I'm not even talking about putting him ahead of Eli Manning and Roethlisberger. So please explain yourself, Tom. Are you related to Jerry Jones in any way? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, I that'd be a good gig, huh? <laughs> oh, it wouldn't be bad at all. No, uh, going to Eli and Roethlisberger, um, you know, Eli had a pretty okay season. His team didn't make the playoffs. Uh, he made a Pro Bowl. Uh, which nowadays is, you know, like, that's as generic as it comes nowadays. Mary Weather was a two-time Pro Bowler with the Patriots. That tells you all I need to know about the value of that. Excuse me? I said Brandon Merriweather was a two-time Pro Bowler here with the Patriots. That tells you all exactly. you need to know about the value of that. <laughs> exactly. And Johnny Knox made it a few years ago, too. So, right. I mean, the Pro Bowl, yeah, it's up and down. But Eli, I mean, he had a, he had a pretty solid year. He almost threw for 4,000 yards. Uh, he had, you know, 26 touchdowns with 15 picks. Uh, there were a lot of injuries in the backfield and the receiving core. It was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty dysfunctional year for the Giants. But Eli, uh, he played consistent. Big Ben didn't have a very good season uh, either. Uh, he threw under 10 picks, uh, under 3,500 passing yards. The Pittsburgh Steelers just did not have a good season at all. Tony Romo uh, almost threw for 5,000 yards, 
so compared to Eli and Big Ben, um, you know, I'm, I'm fine with Romo at eight. Kaepernick and uh, Alex Smith, they didn't play the whole season. Uh, they, you know, so you got to take that into uh, consideration. Granted, you know, Kaepernick's record was seven and three. Alex Smith six two and one. Uh, those are great, but you got to consider what their record would be if they played 16 games in a full season. Um, players such as Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck and RG3, sure, I mean, you, you could easily make that debate uh, for putting them over Tony Romo. They all three had outstanding seasons. Uh, I honestly don't think there is a more valued player to a team uh, right now possibly then Andrew Luck. I mean, you see what happens. They, they are the, literally the worst football team in the, uh, in the NFL, and then all of a sudden you get a quarterback who can hold his own, they make the playoffs. Um, so, and, you know, Luck threw for over 600 passing attempts. Um, you know, that's something. But Tony Romo threw more passing attempts than Andrew Luck and three times as many as RG3. Um, so the the reason uh, Tony Romo is ranked above RG3 and Andrew Luck, uh, I would be lying to you if I said that some longevity didn't have uh, an account in the ranking. But he, the uh, the attempts that Romo threw and the amount of weight on his shoulders for that offense his entire season with uh, the injury bug in the backfield and Des Bryant coming and going. Uh, it, it seemed that Romo, with his stats and the record that the Cowboys had, uh, Romo did more than enough to hold his own to help that team succeed. And that's why you see the ranking over RG3 and Andrew Luck. If you had, to, if you had a team this year, Tom, and you had a draft of quarterbacks, uh, where would you select Tony Romo? If you had to pick a quarterback for this one season, where would he slot in? For the upcoming season upcoming or at the season. end of last year? Upcoming, the upcoming season, 2013. If I had to choose uh, Romo, I would probably put him in the ah, boy. Say, top ten is 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 about the fence for me. Uh, I probably would not take him top six, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, if he was available at thirteen. I would definitely take him because uh, that that to me would be a uh, a fall if Romo were to go to thirteen. Uh, he you know he has the talent. He has the will. I think he's unfairly judged mainly because, I mean, he's playing for Dallas. It's so, I mean, that media is going to kill you. That fan base is going to kill you. And that team is in itself a circus. So it's very tough uh, for quarterbacks to go in there and consistently succeed. Uh, Romo has succeeded as far as, you know, numbers and stats go. How about wins? Not a lot of wins, around. especially playoff wins. Only one in six in must-win games. That's the yeah, that, something, I mean, right? <laughs> that, yeah, that's, I mean, that does have to account for something. But, you know, Peyton Manning didn't win a Super Bowl until 2006 in his career. Um, I think what a lot of people, they don't realize with quarterbacks and playoff wins is it takes time. Uh, you know, to Romo, yeah, he's he's only got one playoff win. They've been there how many times? You say five or six. Um, you know, that's you know that's not the, the most appealing stat, but he's gotten there, and the fact that he's gotten there and has been relevant is a very tough thing to do for quarterbacks nowadays. You look at uh, you look at some players. Matt Castle went to the Chiefs, didn't have such a good year, then all of a sudden made the playoffs, and now you know his you know he's, his his career is almost lost. So it's very difficult for quarterbacks to consistently uh, be relevant and be put in the playoff picture. I think Matt Ryan is is another good example of getting to the playoffs and only having one win. 
yeah, that's not very appealing on paper, but it's a lot better than never making the playoffs. So I think uh, there needs to be some give and take when, uh, when quarterbacks are being uh, discussed as far as playoff wins go. Um, you know, if this was something like golf or tennis, then I think the, the argument would be much more compelling for an individual sport. But, uh, you know, just for a quarterback to be relevant and consistent and to make the playoffs is, is very difficult to do as it, own, as it is. Now you're asking Roman to take that next step, and that's what he needs to do to cross that top 10 fence rating to become a possibly top five quarterback, right. maybe even top three. I don't think talent wise he'll ever get there, but. You know, that's why they play the game. So. Yeah, I mean, here's my thing with Romo, though, Tom. He's 33. I mean, if that's happened for yeah. him yet, when is it going to happen? I think that's a fair question to ask, too. Oh. And actually, I noticed you have uh, Matt Schaub at 7, Romo at 8. And in my opinion, I've said this before on the show, um, I think those are actually two of the worst quarterbacks to have because, follow me here, they're not good enough to win a championship with, but yet they're not quite bad enough to dump, given, of course, the premium, that price that's placed on the position. So you're stuck at 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven with the ceiling of, you know, making it to the divisional round game and then losing on the road to a really good team. So to me, uh, the Texans and Cowboys actually have two of the worst QB situations in the league. Really? That's fair, that's fair to say, I think, uh, that, you know, you can't get rid of them because they're, you know, they're giving you production that you want. Uh, but you'd like to get rid of them because they're also not getting you the result that you want at the end of the year. Um, I think on it, I mean, with Houston, it's a, it's a completely different story. I think for, I think they, in one season, the Texans have played where all three stars on that offense have been healthy. Uh, either Schaub's hurt, Andre Johnson's hurt, uh, you know, Foster, he, you know, actually he's been pretty consistent. He kind of got dinged up a little bit, but it's really, uh, you know, the injury bug for Houston that's, kind of hurt them over the years. I mean, they had T.J. Yates starting in the playoffs at quarterback a while ago. But, uh, I mean, I think that's a very fair statement to say that Dallas and Houston are kind of in, in a, uh, a bit of a, a you know quicksand, per se. They're kind of stuck in the mud right now with these quarterbacks. Now, you can hang on to these guys and hope that when, when and if you do make the playoffs – that you will be able to finally get over that stepping stone. Like you said, Romo's 33. He's probably got, you know, maybe three year, three solid years of a starting quarterback left in him. Um, and Matt Schaub, you know, he's kind of getting up there too. Uh, he's kind of at that point of his career where it's do or die now. But uh, you know, I, I'm going to switch sports just really quick. I think the 4 Detroit Pistons is a good example. You didn't have a lot of guys on that team that – you know, were star-studded and could get it done, quote-unquote. Rasheed Wallace went to a finals, couldn't get it done. But you held on to the pieces you had, and it worked that one year. And that's kind of where I think Houston and Dallas are at with their quarterbacks. Let's just see if we can hang on to these guys for a little bit longer, and hopefully something will come out of it. If not, well... Well, then, <laughs> and then you won't make the Super Bowl. <laughs> now, that's a hell of a price to pay for the Cowboys just hanging with Romo for a little longer. You know, on the Texans, though, Tom, I guess I'm just really down on that overall operation, watching them against the Patriots a few times this year. I mean, Gary Kubiak, to me, is the cut, is the guy who just buries his head in the play sheet, and the world could be, you know, collapsing <laughs> around him. And he doesn't look up from that stupid play sheet. And Wade Phillips, too, in that defense, how they were not ready for the hurry-up offense ever, to me, is, is just unbelievable. So I'm down on that whole operation. Um, but on Joe Flacco, Tom, Tom, a few more points here. Many people are up on Joe Flacco. You are as well. You have him at six in your rankings, even though 
He's never had a completion percentage higher than 63 and was below 60 the past two seasons. He's never thrown fewer than 10 interceptions in the season. He played great last postseason and was good enough to win a championship. So really, that's all that matters. But still, if we're talking about pure quarterback play, um, I personally have a difficult time putting him in the top 10, never mind the top 5. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. Actually, uh, honestly, that was a... It was an awesome quote because every time I talk with people about these uh, rankings and they see Flacco at six, it's the same thing. I've even said it to, to people, and I've heard it from everyone. Talent-wise, he's not top ten, uh, and I, I, I'm compelled to agree with that just based off of you know what we've seen on tape. Now, the stats that you, know, you dropped in the Super Bowl that he's just won, it's hard to keep him out of you know the top seven or five or six or whatever – but, uh, you know, Flacco, he, uh, he's a very under-the-radar type of player. He, uh, I'm not going to say he's top-10 talent, but he is without a doubt top-five game-managing quarterbacks. Uh, I think he proved that uh, in the postseason. You don't need to make the flashiest plays. You don't need to, you know, throw for 350 yards and five touchdowns to make a name. You, you just got to do your job. And he did that in the postseason. And he kind of, to, to an extent, did that during the regular season. Again, his stats, you know, were, were not bad. 22 touchdowns to 10 picks. He had an 87 quarterback rating, uh, 87% quarterback rating. Um, he almost threw for 4,000 passing yards. I think a lot of what people don't realize either with Joe Flacco is that he is mobile. Um, you know, he just tends not to be as mobile as he once was his rookie year and sophomore year. But he can be dangerous at, uh, when he runs. So, uh, you know, there's so many different weapons that Flacco can beat you with, but you almost don't know it because he is so low-key and under the radar, and he's such a good game manager that, uh, that he is dangerous in that way. Now, what's going to happen with Flacco from here is we're going to see how consistent he is from here uh, as far as being an elite quarterback. Being an elite quarterback, that's very, you know, that's a very opinionated, uh, very common-sense uh way of looking at a, at something but Flacco uh, you know if you were just to use your your common sense and opinion like you said most people would not even have him in the top 10 looking at numbers and productivity he he's well up there as far as being a top quarterback do I think he's elite absolutely not is he is he becoming elite I would definitely say he's opened the front door and has at least one foot in there to becoming an elite quarterback Tom, great stuff. Final question I have for you, a bit of a bigger picture question. Where do you believe the quarterback position is heading? Uh, Robert Griffin, Colin Kaepernick, Russell Wilson, these are guys who are very mobile back there, but can also throw. I mean, a lot of people make the comparison between guys like Griffin and Wilson and Michael Vick, and I say, no, that's a bad comparison because Griffin and Wilson and Kaepernick can all beat you with their arm, whereas Mike Vick couldn't and can't. So... These guys seem to be real dynamic players. We've never seen the likes of them before. Are these guys a new breed at quarterback, guys who can beat you uh, seemingly every which way? Uh, I don't want to say they're a new breed because, what I mean, we've seen, well, not personally, but, you know, <laughs> we've heard and seen of quarterbacks like this in the past, uh, you know, uh, Y. Biddle and uh, Tarkenton. I mean, they're, you know, Steve McNair. These guys, uh, these guys can throw and they're run. They're all at the same time now. Football. It seems as if the league is yeah. really moving in this direction. That's, uh, that could be true. Uh, it also could just be a coincidence that, you know, these these guys, you know, are two of them were in the same draft and uh, one of them was a year off in the draft. Uh, 
it, it could be that they just came out at the same time from college. Uh, because now, I mean, you're looking at mobile quarterbacks that can throw the ball in the past draft. I guess EJ Manuel and Geno Smith would be two that come to mind. Um, you know, but I don't know how good they're going to be. I, I personally, I don't think they'll be that great. No, they're uh, but they play you don't the know. Jets, right. Yeah. You, you, you know, you don't, you really don't know. Uh, so I don't want to say it's a, it's a new breed, but it is a, it's an unfamiliar breed to many NFL fans. And the fact that they're seeing a lot of it now may, uh, put that perception in people's minds that this might be where the quarterback position's heading. Personally, I don't think it's heading that way. I just think that there are some players that can run and throw the ball because you have other players that are traditional quarterbacks that are doing outstanding jobs like Matt Ryan, Andrew Luck, uh, Tom Brady, uh, you know, Alex Smith, even for that matter, only played, uh, you know, nine games, but he is a, you know, he played more of a, uh, of like a game managing, just, you know, traditional drop back style of quarterback. So I, again, I don't want to say it's a new breed, but I would definitely say it's unfamiliar for many fans. All right. Well, saying it's a new breed fits a narrative, Tom. So that's why I go with that. <laughs> uh, Tom uh, Cunningham, read him, footballnation.com does great work. And Tom, we'll welcome you back again. That was fun. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks a lot, Alex. I had a blast. So again, a big thanks go out to Tom Cunningham, one of our many contributors on footballnation.com for taking the time and coming on the show this week. As I said in the opening, there is a bill that is currently circulating or about to circulate through the United States Senate that could potentially positively change the NFL viewing experience for every sport fan everywhere, or at least, well, in this country. It is a bill that you should be cheerleading. It is a bill that you should want to pass, especially this portion of the bill. It is titled the John McCain Television Consumer Freedom Act of 2013. There are many aspects to this bill, and if you're a media geek like myself, I encourage you check it out because it's very interesting from top to bottom. But the part that is most relevant to football fans and sports fans is this, and it reads, the commission shall amend subpart F of Part 76 of Subchapter C of Chapter 1 of Title 47, Code of Federal Regulations. And they give you the code. I guess an intern wrote that. But here is what the bill says, or this section of the bill. To prohibit the application of sports blackout regulations to the broadcast of a sporting event taking place in the venue, the construction of which was financed in whole or in part by the federal government or a state or local government. It was a mouthful, but what this bill means is the NFL blackout policy where if a home game does not sell out, that home team then has the right to black out that game in their home television market. That policy, if this aspect of the bill passes through, would be deemed illegal. That's right, football fans. The day you've been waiting for may finally be coming. It's not going to happen soon. It's not going to happen tomorrow, excuse me, because we know <laughs> the snail-like pace at which con Congress works, but you can see it way off in the distance. As I said, maybe not soon, but you can see it in the sometime near future. The NFL blackout policy may be deemed illegal. This means that teams can no longer deny fans a product that they have paid for because, as the bill clearly states, fans help finance most of these stadiums with their taxpayer dollars. And it's absurd that if a game doesn't sell out, they can't watch it on TV. 
Um, you know, if an NFL team can't sell out a game, the blame is on the team, not on the fan base. And, you know, this applies to the Major League Baseball blackout policy as well. And I talked about this on my Red Sox podcast without a curse this week. Uh, if you purchase MLB.tv, pay $20 a month for the service on MLB.com, which allows you to stream every game, well, except the game you may be interested in, because you cannot stream your home team's games on MLB.com if you live in that home team's television market. So if I live in Boston and don't have a TV or don't have access to a television, I cannot stream the Red Sox game. It is blacked out because I am in the Red Sox television market. And that is an absurd policy, just as the NFL blackout policy is absurd. Now, this bill, to my knowledge, doesn't deal with that, but it may get the ball rolling on that. Because in general, why not make your product as accessible as possible? I mean, why make it difficult to consume your product. This blackout policy that the NFL has is an antiquated rule. It makes zero sense. I mean, if I'm living in Jacksonville and the Jaguars aren't on TV because they didn't sell out because, wow, people don't want to spend hundreds of dollars to watch a crappy football team play a meaningless game. Um, if the Jaguars aren't on TV, I'm not going to be compelled to take the family and make the however long drive down to the stadium and pay for parking, pay for tickets, pay for food, pay for overpriced water bottles. I mean, that's the thing that always gets me, right? I mean, you go to like a sporting event and they charge you five, six, seven dollars for a water bottle. It's ridiculous to, to say the least, but I'm not going to go there and drop all that money if the Jaguars aren't on TV. I mean, I'm not a, sh I, I'm, we're not sheep. I mean, if my home team isn't on TV, I'm assuming they're not worth watching or else people would go to the games and the games would sell out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be compelled to, I don't know, maybe go outside and be a human instead of barricading myself indoors on a beautiful sunny Sunday in the early fall or in today's era of media, there's always another game or games on. If the Jaguars are blacked out on CBS or the Raiders do this too, if they're blacked out on CBS, I'll turn to Fox and see what game they have or... I'll watch the Red Zone channel. I'll watch the NFL package, the NFL network. I mean, I can watch something to get my football fix on Sunday. I don't have to drive to the stadium and see my crappy home team play because the game isn't sold out unless it's blacked out on my television. I mean, this is an antiquated policy. It's an absurd policy, and it's a slap in the face to NFL fans. It really is. I mean, why make your product not accessible? It's a slap in the face to fans. And we know NFL owners, you know, I mean, they're going to do what works for them. Whatever policies they think are more uh, make more financial sense for them, they're going to do that. I mean, just look at the referee lockout last fall. We got three to four weeks of subpar football and subpar officiating in disastrous games and games that moved at a snail's pace, you know, like Congress moves at. Uh, why? I ought to save a few bucks on referee pensions at the end of the day. That's what that referee lockout was about. It wasn't about the fans' experience. No, it was about saving a few bucks on referee pensions. So we know the story with NFL owners. Sometimes it takes an act of Congress to get them to do the right thing for fans. And this is undoubtedly the right thing for fans. It affects football fans everywhere. And it just makes no sense. I mean, why make your product not accessible? It makes no sense. It's an antiquated policy. And if you're an NFL fan or a sports fan, you should be cheerleading this proposal and hoping it gets through Congress uh, sometime in the kind of near, oh, I can almost see it, future.
Moving on to our third down segment, it's the Big Upper Slowdown segment where I say a statement and express my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying Big Upper Slowdown. Topic number one this week, Buddy Nix, our good friend. Buddy Nix has stepped down as Bill's general manager. Assistant GM Doug Whaley is expected to take over. Big Upper Slowdown is this positive news for the Bills. Yes, I think so. I'm going to go big up here. I think this is positive news for the Bills. A couple months ago, we played you that infamous Buddy Nix call that was leaked to Deadspin um, about, you know, these guys prank called Nix pretending to be the Buccaneers GM. And Buddy Nix then kept calling them back on their personal cell phones thinking he was getting Tampa Bay GM Mark Dominic. Not, I guess, as I said at the time, I guess Buddy Nix has no contacts. I guess he, does, I guess he doesn't have the contacts of any GM. In the league, you could just call him randomly, pretend to be somebody, then he calls you back. Because why? He's in his mid-70s and doesn't understand how cell phones work. Um, and that's why, just on the surface, this has to be good news for the Bills. Uh, Whaley is 40 years old, which you know doesn't mean he's good. I, I have no idea about his football evaluation abilities. But at least that means that if you prank call him pretending to be, I don't know, the GM of the Buccaneers, he won't believe you and keep calling back. I mean, I'm assuming Doug Whaley, at 40 years of age... Um, knows how to operate a cell phone, knows how to put in cell phone contacts, and maybe even already has the contacts of every general manager across the league. Um, so that has to be a good news for the Bills. Um, they, of course, have a new team president in Russ Brandon, replaced Ralph Wilson last year. So maybe slowly but surely the Bills are getting some direction. I don't know. But, I mean, it's really been ugly up there. I mean, in the AFC East... The Jets, and rightfully so in most cases, get all the headlines for the dysfunction they have, but it's not much prettier a picture up north than Buffalo. I mean, it really isn't. Uh, from a disastrous offseason last year, it's spending all that money on Mario Williams and the colossal bust he was this season to their head coach failings and their quarterback failings, and they drafted another quarterback, E.J. Manuel, some, you know, something inexplicably so in the first round this season. Um, it's been one massive failure after another in Buffalo for the past decade plus, one of the longest playoff droughts in the league, and changes seem to be happening there. Russ Brandon, Doug Whaley, uh, how are these guys as operators? How do these guys evaluate talent? How do these guys run a football team? I don't know. I don't know much about these two gentlemen, but I do know they're not Ralph Wilson. They're not Buddy Nix. They're in today's era, today's generation, and I just think on the surface from my outside perspective that has to be considered at least kind of a positive for Bills fans. You're now getting a GM who will not fall for prank calls. You know, I cannot call Doug Whaley pretending to be a general manager and have him call me back. Why? Because he probably has GM cell phone numbers saved on his cell phone because that's what we do. We have contacts. We save numbers. So stuff like that does not happen. Now, stuff like this should not happen. Jaguars wide receiver Justin Blackman was arrested for a DUI in 2010 while he was still in college. Was arrested for another DUI last year in 2012. And then, just last month, he, he received a four-game suspension for violating the NFL's substance abuse policy. When asked about this at minicamp this week, Blackman admitted that he is at a crossroads in his career. Big up or slow down? Should teams cut bait with guys when this happens, even when the players are still as young as Blackman is? Um, this is a real tough topic. I went back and forth with it, but I'm going to ultimately say slow down, or at least not yet. I still think the Jaguars should hold on to Blackman because he's 22, 
23 years of age, and still has some time. Um, admittedly, that time is running out. I feel almost kind of dirty saying it because on the show we talk a lot about NFL players and DUIs and how they never learn their lessons and the just horrible behavior around the league and how you got to think teams could educate their players a little better. Players just have more common sense and better advisors around them. I mean, we rail a lot on this show, and I think rightfully so, against NFL player behavior, especially in the offseason months, May and June. I mean, you look at the arrest sheet every week, and you're guaranteed to always see at least a couple of amusing NFL arrests on there. Um, and I say amusing in kind of the cynical way, of course, and nothing truly funny about it. But, you know, so I feel dirty saying it, but the fact is it's a talent-driven business. And Blackman was a top pick a couple years ago, has a lot of talent, came on strong at the end of this past season. He seemed to maybe be beginning to putting it together on the field, and then he misses the first four games of this season due to the substance abuse policy violation and subsequent suspension. Um, so it's quickly getting towards the end with Blackman, I'll admit that. But it's not time for the Jaguars to cut bait yet, because the bottom line is it is a talent league. Blackman is a talented wide receiver, seemed to be putting it together at the end of last season. He was their best receiver in November and December. And, uh, you know, also the Jaguars need talent. They need as much talent as possible. And that's what makes it even more unfortunate for them because Blackman will only be there for 12 games this season instead of 16 due to another stupid, stupid off-field mistake. Now, Blackman spoke about his off-the-field troubles at Jaguars minicamp. Minicamps are happening across the league. We're getting reports coming out of minicamps, new head coaches, new coordinators, new draft picks, new new players in minicamps. Whole new year, start anew. Big up or slow down, though. Is there anything more worthless than these minicamp reports and minicamp analysis that we've seen over the past number of days, and I'm going to say slow down. No, there is nothing more worthless than minicamp analysis. Yes, even NFL draft analysis, you know, day after the draft, who was the winner, who was the loser? Yes, that is worthless, but this is even more worthless than that. Why? Because think about it for a segment. You know, you have Eagles reporters fawning over new head coach Chip Kelly because he plays loud music during practice. It's, you know, it's, it's like... That report last summer, reporters went to Seahawks camp, and oh my god, Pete Carroll plays rap music during training camp. Whoa, what a renegade. I mean, sports writers are honestly the most easily impressed people ever. I mean, every spring training in baseball, you read reports about how, oh, the manager gets up and gets to the field at 4.30 in the morning, and... And I'm sitting there saying, my God, I mean, that's not something to be impressed with. I mean, that's a sign that the guy is a sleeping problem. I mean, I was reading reports that John Farrell, the Red Sox manager, was at training, was at spring training this year at, you know, 5 in the morning. And I said, wow, I mean, this isn't something to be impressed with. This is something to be concerned about. I mean, the poor guy has a severe sleeping disorder. If he has to get up at 4 in the morning to get to spring training, I mean, what, get there several hours early to watch his pitchers play long toss and stretch and then go home? I mean, God, the guy has a sleeping problem. Let's get him help. Let's not praise him for this. Um, So, you know, sports writers, I'm telling you, are the most easily impressed people ever. Um, but then you also hear the reports about rookies, every team. Oh, this rookie looks great. What a great pick he was. And, of course, they're going to say that. I mean, what, you think the team's GM or team executives are going to say, yeah, you know, between you and me, uh, this guy we got in the first round, bust, terrible, can't run, 
can't catch, horrible attitude. I can't believe we wasted millions of dollars in bonus money on this bum. I mean, who's really going to say that? Oh, you know, Chip Kelly, between you and me, was the big hire, but man, he's a disaster. He doesn't have the demeanor that an NFL coach should have. He, he's wasting time. He's inefficient. I mean, nobody's going to say that. We're just a few weeks removed, three weeks removed. In the NFL draft case, I mean, no one's going to say, you know, this pick that we've been hyping up, yeah, sucks. Guy can't play. What a mistake it was. I mean, no one's going to admit that yet. So, no, th this analysis is ridiculous. Everything is great coming out of mini camps because nobody's going to admit they were wrong this soon into the uh, into the next season. So, please, it, no. To answer the question, nothing is more worthless than mini camp analysis, which we have been peppered with over the past number of days. Now, to close out the show here in the fourth down segment, it is the Reamer rant. And this week, we are looking at ESPN columnist Rick Riley, formerly of Sports Illustrated. ESPN, of course, snatched him up a couple years ago, paid him several million dollars per year to be a prominent fixture across all ESPN platforms. He writes on the website. He appears on SportsCenter. He covers the golf tournaments. He's, he is everywhere. Rick Riley, he's part of the Monday Night Football broadcast team. He is everywhere. He is one of the faces of the worldwide leader in sports. And he gets paid all this money to write crap, yes, crap, like this. This is Rick Riley's opinion, his multi-million dollar opinion on the Jets quarterback situation. You tell me uh, what you think about this quote-unquote poem, and again, I don't want to call it a poem because it does a, that, is a, that is a massive diss to the genre, and there are great poets out there who write good poetry and even write some good sports poetry. It's not necessarily my thing, but people out there do a good job with this. Um, but you be the judge if Rick Riley did a good job here. Uh, tell me something worthwhile that you took from this, uh, from this uh, little piece here. Um, here it is. <clears throat> QB... Or not QB? That is the question. Who should the Jets start? Who should the Jets shun? Dealt a hand of five. None of them king. They have to find one. Can we redeal this thing? They cut Tim Tebow. A big deletion. 20 mag covers. Six completions. They could start Sanchez. But fans would grumble. His most famous play is the butt fumble. All right, this is where it gets good. Ready? Rex Ryan's seat is hot. Mark's been killing him. What hurts worse is he makes $8 million. Huh? They picked Brass Gino, who's a bit of a diva. He says he'll behave, but who's a believer? Yes, that's believer with an A. Ah, that Rick Riley. He is hip to you, kids. He knows what's going on. He continues. Matt Sims has good genes, but his hope is slim. Coaches over 40 rarely play the Sims. Huh? So he rhymed Sims with slim, and again with Sims. I, I can't even wrap my head around that one. I mean, The Sims, really, Rick? The, 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 the computer game that came out in the late 1990s? This is where we're going for our cultural references? What's next? You're going to tell me a Monica Lewinsky joke? <laughs> Nothing like some good current events uh, commentary there, huh? He finishes, 
with, let the battle start. Though the talent's thin. But wait, what happens if nobody wins? Okay, so that's Rick Riley. And the awkward silence that follows any Rick Riley attempt at, 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 at comedy. Or in these days, commentary. Because it was 0 for 2 here. It wasn't funny. And tell you anything. What did he tell you? The Jets have a bad quarterback situation. Okay. I mean, this is like something you would write in elementary school, right? You're told in like fourth grade, write a poem about your favorite, you know, about your favorite, uh, your favorite thing. You know, I'm a big football fan. I'm a 10-year-old kid writing a poem about the Jets. I know at 10, the Jets quarterback situation is awful. So I write a little poem about the Jets quarterback situation. And your teacher says, oh... Alex, good effort, good effort, but, you know, uh, Believa, you didn't spell it correctly. Or, you know, The Sims, I mean, you shouldn't really be talking about, you know, video games that are 15 years old in your poems, Alex, but nice effort. We'll give you an, uh, we'll, we'll give you a, a, a check plus for effort, you know, not a, you know, not, not a check plus plus, not a check plus for effort. Yeah, that's what we'll get. I mean, so Rick Riley gets a check plus for effort. That's what he gets. Nice. Millions of dollars for this. And I rarely go out, go, and I rarely, and I rarely attack specific media members on the show because it's a hard job and I want to get in the business. So I, I, I have sympathy for a lot of these guys. It's not as easy as some think, but I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, maybe he has a fourth grade, maybe he has a fourth grader, maybe he has a 10 year old son who wrote a poem about the Jets and he just copied it and put it in his article. It is unreal. Unreal. Rick Riley. Let's finish up the show. Football Nation today, episode number 49. Thank you for tuning in. Again, thanks go out to Tom Cunningham, one of our many contributors here at FootballNation.com, for joining us on the show today. As always, we welcome your feedback and commentary on the Football Nation show page on footballnation.com. And also feel free to send me an email, areamer at bu.edu is my email address. And also feel free to follow me on Twitter, at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter handle. Uh, so long, everybody. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week here in May. We will talk to you in two weeks, two Wednesdays from now, and have a lot to talk about. Because the news never stops in the NFL, even though it is the offseason. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next in two weeks. So long. Talk to you then.